This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Gemma Blythe. The History of England from the Accession of James the Second by Thomas Babington Macaulay. Chapter Six, Part Fifteen. The temper of the nation was indeed such as might well make him hesitate. During some months discontent had been steadily and rapidly increasing. The celebration of the Roman Catholic worship had long been prohibited by Act of Parliament. During several generations no Roman Catholic clergyman had dared to exhibit himself in any public place with the badges of his office. Against the regular clergy, and against the restless and subtle Jesuits by name, had been enacted a succession of rigorous statutes. Every Jesuit who set foot in this country was liable to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. A reward was offered for his detection. He was not allowed to take advantage of the general rule that men are not bound to accuse themselves. Whoever was suspected of being a Jesuit might be interrogated, and, if he refused to answer, might be sent to prison for life. These laws, though they had not, except when there was supposed to be some peculiar danger, been strictly executed, and though they had never prevented Jesuits from resorting to England, had made disguise necessary. But all disguise was now thrown off. Injudicious members of the king's church, encouraged by him, took a pride in defying statutes, which were still of undoubted validity, and feelings which had a stronger hold of the national mind than at any former period. Roman Catholic chapels rose all over the country. Cowls, girdles of rope, and strings of beads constantly appeared in the streets, and astonished a population, the oldest of whom had never seen a conventional garb except on the stage. A convent rode at Clerkenwell on the site of the ancient cloister of St. John. The Franciscans occupied a mansion in Lincoln's Inn Fields. The Carmelites were quartered in the city. A society of Benedictine monks were lodged in St. James's Palace. In the Savoy, a spacious house, including a church and a school, was built for the Jesuits. The skill and care with which those fathers had during several generations conducted the education of youth, had drawn forth reluctant praises from the wisest Protestants. Bacon had pronounced the mode of instruction followed in the Jesuit colleges to be the best yet known in the world, and had warmly expressed his regret that so admirable a system of intellectual and moral discipline should be subservient to the interests of a corrupt religion. It is not improbable that the new academy in the Savoy might, under royal patronage, prove a formidable rival to the great foundations of Eden, Westminster, and Winchester. Indeed, soon after the school was opened, the classes consisted of four hundred boys, about one-half of whom were Protestants. The Protestant pupils were not required to attend Mass, but there could be no doubt that the influence of able preceptors devoted to the roman catholic church and versed in all the arts which win the confidence and affection of youth would make many converts these things produced great excitement among the populace which is always more moved by what impresses the senses than by what is addressed to the reason thousands of rude and ignorant men to whom the dispensing power and the ecclesiastical commission were words without a meaning saw with dismay and indignation 
a Jesuit college rising on the banks of the Thames, friars in hoods and gowns walking in the strand, and crowds of devotees pressing in at the doors of temples where homage was paid to graven images. Riots broke out in several parts of the country. At Coventry and Worcester, the Roman Catholic worship was violently interrupted. At Bristol, the rabble, countenanced, it was said, by the magistrates, exhibited a profane and indecent pageant in which the Virgin Mary was represented by a buffoon and in which a mock host was carried in procession. The garrison was called out to disperse the mob. The mob, then and ever since, one of the fiercest in the kingdom, resisted. Blows were exchanged and serious hurts inflicted. The agitation was great in the capital and greater in the city, properly so called, than at Westminster, for the people of Westminster had been accustomed to see among them the private chapels of Roman Catholic ambassadors. But the city had not, within living memory, been polluted by any idolatrous exhibition. Now, however, the resident of the Elector Palatine, encouraged by the king, fitted up a chapel in Lime Street. The heads of the corporation, though men selected for office on account of their known Toryism, protested against this proceeding, which, as they said, the ablest gentlemen of the long robe regarded as illegal. The Lord Mayor was ordered to appear before the Privy Council. Take heed what you do, said the king. Obey me, and do not trouble yourself either about gentlemen of the long robe or gentlemen of the short robe. The Chancellor took up the word and reprimanded the unfortunate magistrate with the genuine eloquence of the old Bailey Bar. The chapel was opened. All the neighborhood was soon in commotion. Great crowds assembled in Cheapside to attack the new mass house. The priests were insulted. A crucifix was taken out of the building and set up on the parish pump. The Lord Mayor came to quell the tumult, but was received with cries of, No wooden gods! The train bands were ordered to disperse the crowd, but they shared in the popular feeling, and murmurs were heard from the ranks. We cannot in conscience fight for popery. The Elector Palatine was, like James, a sincere and zealous Catholic, and was, like James, the ruler of a Protestant people. But the two princes resembled each other little in temper and understanding. The elector had promised to respect the rights of the church, which he found established in his dominions. He had strictly kept his word, and had not suffered himself to be provoked to any violence by the indiscretion of preachers who, in their antipathy to his faith, occasionally forgot the respect which they owed to this person. He learned with concern that great offence had been given to the people of London by the injudicious act of his representative, and much to his honour, declared that he would forego the privilege to which, as a sovereign prince, he was entitled, rather than endanger the peace of a great city. I, too, he wrote to James, have Protestant subjects, and I know with how much caution and delicacy it is necessary that a Catholic prince, so situated, should act. James, instead of expressing gratitude for this humane and considerate conduct, turned the letter into ridicule before the foreign ministers. It was determined that the elector should have a chapel in the city, whether he would or not, and that, if the train bands refused to do their duty, 
their place should be supplied by the gods the effect of these disturbances on trade was serious the dutch minister informed the states-general that the business of the exchange was at a stand the commissioners of the customs reported to the king that during the month which followed the opening of lime street chapel the receipt in the port of the thames had fallen off by some thousands of pounds several aldermen who though zealous royalists appointed under the new charter were deeply interested in the commercial prosperity of their city and loved neither popery nor martial law tendered their resignations but the king was resolved not to yield he formed a camp on hounslow heath and collected there within a circumference of about two miles and a half fourteen battalions of foot and thirty-two squadrons of horse amounting to thirteen thousand fighting men twenty-six pieces of artillery and many wains laden with arms and ammunition were dragged from the tower through the city to hounslow the londoners saw this great force assembled in their neighborhood with a terror which familiarity soon diminished a visit to hounslow became their favorite amusement on holidays the camp presented the appearance of a vast fair mingled with the musketeers and dragoons a multitude of fine gentlemen and ladies from soho square shoppers and painted women from white friars invalids in sedans monks in hoods and gowns lackeys in rich liveries peddlers orange girls mischievous apprentices and gaping clowns was constantly passing and repassing through the long lanes of tents from some pavilions were heard the noises of drunken revelry from others the curses of gamblers in truth the place was merely a gay suburb of the capital the king as was amply proved two years later had greatly miscalculated he had forgotten that vicinity operates in more ways than one he had hoped that his army would overawe london but the result of his policy was that the feelings and opinions of london took complete possession of his army End of part 15